So, we're going to continue on with our series on the armor of God, and, and you may be happy to know we're moving off of the girdle of truth. Finally, after three weeks, we're on the breastplate of righteousness, which is the next part of it. And of course, this comes from the book of Ephesians, and we're st- slowly starting to move through this verse. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, you don't have to be a seminary student to pick up the symbolism that Paul is giving us here. The breastplate, of course, is that big metal piece that goes over your chest area and that is protecting your heart. And so he's saying it's the breastplate of righteousness. This is what protects your heart. In other words, righteousness protects your heart. Now, you know from the rest of the Gospels and Jesus preaching that the heart's like the most critical, most important thing to God about us. It's all about our heart. It always comes back to the heart. So this protects it. It protects it from, from uh, falling away from him. And so what is righteousness? Now, righteousness is one of these big theological churchy terms that has a couple of meanings. I'm going to focus on just one of them today, but I'll give you kind of the definitional purpose of the side we're looking at. This is the word here in Greek. This is the doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state of approval by God. So um, that's kind of a wordy kind of mouthful there. Let me give you an easier way to understand what righteousness is. Now, there are, again, a couple definitions of righteousness, but this one, what we're talking about is right standing with God. In other words, if God were standing here and you say, hey, God, you, you and me, we're good, right? God said, yeah, we're good. That's what that is. It's a right standing with God. And that's what righteousness is. Uh, so the thing is, that this is a breastplate of righteousness and it's supposed to be protecting us. And it's fair to ask, where's that righteousness coming from? Well, who is righteous? I mean, if you look in the scriptures, you'll see this verse, and this is a lovely verse. None is righteous. No one, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? So we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. I said, well, no one has it. So how how do we get there? Well, uh, actually, there's two things here. First of all, there's righteousness, which God gives you. And we talk about that because we know there's nothing we can do to get in right standing with God. We can't make it back, and that's why Jesus had to die. But once we're back, it is ours to maintain. So like God gives you a breastplate, and that's great because he gives it to you. You couldn't earn it. But now that you have it, it's your responsibility to keep it. And it's your responsibility to keep it ready. And so there is this idea that after God extends his righteousness to you and brings you back, you have a duty and a job, and you're supposed to live for righteousness. How do we get there? Because I don't know, I... I've met a lot of Christians in my life. I don't think I've ever met one who would say, well, yes, I'm righteous. I don't think I have. I've met some who maybe believe it, but I haven't actually had anybody tell me, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm full of righteousness. I'm, you know, I, I'm righteous. And so where do we get there? You know, how do we get there? There's a verse in Revelation uh, that I really like. It says this, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who's filthy stay filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and the one is holy, keep himself holy, because I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me, and I'll give it to every man according to what he has done. You go ahead, Jesus says. You live your life the way you want. You want to live a filthy life? Go be a filthy person. But I'm coming, and when I'm coming, I'm giving everybody their just rewards according to what you've done. So there's this idea that we need to do righteousness, or another way of putting it is our obedience leads to righteousness. And we're, we're supposed to continue in this path of righteousness. And that's where Christianity gets hard for most people, including me. 
because it's like, well, I don't know if I'm a righteous person, but I need to do righteousness. What does that look like? So I'm going to go through this uh, kind of weird chart with you that I put together. This isn't necessarily biblical, uh, but this is kind of an observation. I'm going to break down uh, what we do in our lives. In other words, I'm going to break down the, these levels of decisions we have, and I'm going to show you where righteousness enters in. Right? So we'll talk both from a human level and from a spiritual level today. And for those of you who are listening, because I get more people listening now on a podcast than attend, uh, let me describe what, I'm, what you're looking at. It looks like a blank tic-tac-toe form, and I'm we'll going to start filling in from the bottom, going left to right. So the very lowest level of decision that you make in your life is something that I'm calling a reaction. So the very lowest levels is a reaction. A reaction requires very little thought on your part. It just kind of happens. Uh, some of you may be sitting here and you have an itch on your nose. You just reach up, you scratch your nose. You didn't think about that. You just scratched it, you know, because you, that's a reaction. Stimuli, reaction. That's how it goes. Uh, this might also be described as the how. This is how you do something. This is the lowest level decision you make. I'm going to give you another word here. I hope this becomes apparent later. This is reptile. This is, describes a reptile. This is a reptilian brain. You know, snake, lizards, those kind of things. They don't have a high level of intelligence. They simply react to stimuli. If they're hungry, they eat. If they're tired, they sleep. They have to go to the bathroom. They just go wherever they are. It doesn't matter. They're a reptilian brain. Uh, people think they have pet snakes. They don't. They have captured snakes. They've put in a terrarium. These snakes have no idea who you are. Right? They'll, they'll eat you if they think they need to. They, they don't have the ability to have that kind of a, a relationship of any kind. They're reptilian. Now, some Sometimes a reaction has some thought attached to it. For example, I talked about itch on your nose, you'll scratch it. There are some other places you might have an itch that you probably wouldn't scratch in church, right? And like, I'll wait on that one, or maybe I'll go to excuse myself and come back, because your mind kind of does inter interact with that a little bit. So there are some reactions that have some mental thinking. Uh, we'll see this also reactions take place, like you'll have a stimulus, stimuli, emotional stimuli can make you react as well. We see this take place like in movies a lot like this. I'm in love with you. Sometimes you have to slap them in the face just to get their attention. So there are some reactions that we make, right? And in these reactions that we make, there is some thought there. And you can complain later, so I couldn't even help it. It's just like, you know, they slap me, I slap you back. And that's what happens. So there is some times that a reaction has, let's say, sinful connotations to it. This would also be true of addicts. If they have, you know, a, a, an addict will respond to a stimulus and they'll just, you know, they can't help themselves. And this is sometimes the things about our decisions that frustrate us the most, but we really have very little control over because by the time it's gotten to reaction state, you're not thinking about it anymore. You're just kind of doing. Um, I, was, I was speaking last night about smoking. It's weird we don't consider smokers addicts, but it's a very bad addiction. Nicotine's a very bad addiction. And when I grew up, it was everywhere. You know, I, I remember my little league coach teaching me how to choke up on the bat, you know, and he put his arms around me and said, here's how you do it. And his cigarettes like dangling right here and his ashes are dripping on my shoulder. But that was, that was kind of how it was back then. But um, I, I remember watching people who smoked and like as soon as they're done with dinner, they had to light, light up a cigarette. That was like part of, you know, the addiction became part of their life. And I actually watched people with a cigarette in their hand reach for a new cigarette because they'd forgotten they'd already lit it. 
and now the dinner was done, they needed another one. You know, it's like that kind of a, a reaction. But um, there's very little you can do by the time you finally get down to the reaction stage. And, and that's the unfortunate part of it. So most preaching and most focus moves up from the reaction stage because there is a stage above this. And you know, if we move up from the how, we move into the what. Now, what's a little bit different? Like I'm sitting here and I'm scratching my nose because I'm in church, but what, you know, you're here in church. This is a what? You came to church this morning. At some point, you probably had a conversation where someone said, what are we doing tomorrow? Well, it's Sunday. We're going to go to church. This is the what. There's more decision here. You had to make a decision to come here. You thought about it. You made plans maybe we'd get here. You know, maybe it wasn't easy. You maybe had to set your alarm and maybe you had to take more than one car. So there's planning going on. Actions can, can uh, reproduce other actions. And that's what this is. This is an action. So the reaction, and this is above it, it's an action where you're thinking about it and you are involved in it. This is the animal level. Because you can teach animals actions. That's why you can teach dogs to sit and things. Uh, dog training, you know, something near and dear to my heart. We do it a little bit in my house. Sometimes we train the dog. Sometimes the dog trains us. I can't video and laugh. That was, uh, that was my last German chipper teaching Stas how to do proper army push-ups. All the way down, soldier. All the way down. But you can, you can see that on, a, on an animal level, right? You can teach animals something. They can teach us things. But they're all actions and they're, they're followed by reactions. And this is where preaching lived when I grew up. It was on the actions. Because if you were to ask somebody, how do I know if I'm righteous? They would ask you, what are you doing and what are you not doing? This defined you as a Christian when I grew up. It's where all the sermons lived. You need to pray. You need to read your Bible. You need to come to church. You need to tithe. You need to do all these things, right? And likewise, I was a young man growing up at that time. There's a lot of things I wasn't allowed to do, right? I, was a, I had a girlfriend. You guys can't sleep together. You can't live together. You, you, know, you need to do this. You can't do that. And so there's all these different things that we were taught we could do and we couldn't do. And there's all the what. It's where all the focus was. Here's how you're righteous. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to not do. Uh, there's another word for this, and it's called the law. And it's exactly what the law was that, uh, that God gave the Israelites. We're going to actually talk more about that next week. The problem with this teaching is it's very hard to maintain it. And I think the church has realized that over the years. I mean, we're very good at giving people a list and then judging them when they don't live up to the list. But it's really you know, hard to say, well, how, how am I supposed to do that? You know, I try, I do very well for a while, but then I fall off and then I just get discouraged and I just say, you know, screw it. I'll just do it all, all my stuff. I'll just go like, live like that for a while. And then you come back and say, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm come back here and be righteous. And then later on, oh, I can't be righteous. And there's just kind of this back and forth that most Christians go through in their lives because just focusing on the what is very, very difficult. It's like you're trying to, to, to stop it, but you're just dealing with symptoms all the time. And it gets very, very difficult to kind of get, get to the point where I feel like I have this. I'm righteous now. I've got this. I've got this. And so um, what we've learned as a culture and the church is learning as well, because unfortunately the way it goes is our church follows our culture. Should be the other way around, but actually it's our church ends up following our culture, is that there's a level above what that we have to get to, and that is the why. Why? 
which is the reason. So, you know, I have, I'm doing something, you know, I go to church, why? Well, I'm a Christian, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible, why? I'm going to, you know, pray, why? I'm going to make this decision on Sunday to do this, why? And there's a reason behind it. And what uh, our culture is kind of keyed in on right now is the why. In fact, if, uh, if you go into the secular world, or like, I don't, I don't know if there's any left, but if you go to a bookstore, <laughs> I don't know, I think there's one Barnes & Noble left in the area. If you go to that one down the waterfront and you walk in, you can walk over to the business section and find a time management book. And it's all about the why, like the Frank, Franklin time management uh, system or day timers or any of those. It's all based on a why. It's basically you have goals you set in your life and then you make sure that your daily tasks reflect your goals. And you know, that's all, it's all focused basically on the why. Why are you doing this? You know, what's the purpose behind it? Why are you doing it? If you move down the, the aisles a little bit, you get over into the inspirational area, but, but the motivational inspirational area, you're not, not Christian. Uh, you'll find a book uh, right there, a bestseller by this guy, Simon Sinek. It's called Finding Your Why. Uh, and, and, you know, he's a leadership guru. I've actually played some of his videos here in church because he's an excellent communicator. But basically his whole thing is you need to find your why. And if you're a leader, you need to connect your workers, your peoples to the why of their lives and the why of your business life. And then you have people who are dedicated to working. If you don't do that, you have people work for the paycheck and then they cut out and they're not, they're not reliable and they're not loyal. What you want to do is try to engage their hearts and minds. And you're supposed to get into the why. And he's built up a whole empire by this whole thing. It's got, a, it's got two bestsellers and he's, you know, goes around. His TED Talk was one of the most popular TED Talks ever broadcast. It's all about finding the why. You move now over into the spiritual section of the thing, find the Christianity aisle, it's much smaller, but you find the Christianity aisle, there's a book by Joyce Myers, Battlefield, Battlefield of the Mind. What is that? That's really all about this. It's about taking your mind and say, okay, I'm going to reprogram my whys, you know, I'm going to have better motivation, and that's going to drive down to what I do and how I do it. And that's what it's all about. Uh, the churches have picked up on this. The successful pastors, you know, not like me. I'm talking about the guys who have these five, ten thousand people coming every week because people can't wait to hear what they have to say. They're preaching the why. All of them are preaching the why. They don't just simply say, you know what you need to do is you need to come to church because people say, well, why? And they have the answer for that. Well, you need to come to church because the Bible says that we are better as a group than we are alone and we bear each other's burdens and, you know, help you in your Christian walk. That's why. You, know, you need to read the Bible. Why? Well, because the Bible is how God speaks to you and God is the most wise person in the universe and he wants to give you advice on how to make your life better here on earth. Don't you want to have the wisest person in the world giving you advice? Yes, I do. Well, then you should read your Bible. Uh, you need to tithe. Why? Well, read Malachi 4. It'll tell you that if you tithe, God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Don't you want the devourer rebuked? I don't even know what rebuke or devourer means, but it sounds like something I want. You know, I don't think I want that in my life. I don't want to devour. So yeah, maybe I, maybe I should do that. And so um, I don't think that why works, by the way, since only 10% of Christians tithe. But, you know, uh, that's the idea behind it. You know, that God blesses us and, and he rebukes the devourer. Uh, probably statistically speaking, they say 10% of Christians tithe. Another 20% give regularly. Another 10% uh, give occasionally. Uh, which means that any given Sunday, 60% of the people come to church, leave the church without giving a dime. And that's just the reality of it. So I don't know how well that why is working. We probably need to buff it up a little bit and so we, we can explain it better. But anyway, but that's the idea behind it. If I can connect you to the why, then the what's become easier to follow. And so I'm going to focus all my time on a why. And by the way, we love focusing on the why. Because if I'm focusing on the why, I can stay abstract. 
oh, okay, tell me more about why I should do this. It's nice. You can sit back, relax, and the preacher can tell you all these things. It's motivational. Yes, yes, I like that. And you can leave church and do nothing, right? And we'll come back next week. We'll talk about the why some more. Let's keep talking about the why until I feel motivated to do the what. Now, the question uh, is, is there anything wrong with this teaching? And because this is kind of where we are in, in America, Christianity today, we're teaching hows, what's, and why's, focusing mostly on the why's, a little bit on the what's, very little on the how's. Is there anything wrong with that? Um, no, actually, this is teaching from the Bible. You'll see Paul teaches this, Jesus teaches this, te- Jesus teaches all of these things. If you, re- you read through his scriptures and you look at him with a pen and write them down, you'll see he preaches on all these things. But here's something that you have to understand. He didn't just preach this. If he had, if Jesus Christ had come and only preached to the why, he would have never been crucified. Because this doesn't upset anybody. I mean, I'm watching everybody's face. And we go, okay, it's interesting. Look at the world. Okay, I'll buy that. No one's upset by it. I could take this, videotape it, stick it on YouTube. I'd get almost all likes, very little thumbs down. People wouldn't attack me on Snapchat and Instagram if all I did was this. Because they go, okay, yeah. I see, what you're, I see where you're going with this. That's okay. But Jesus didn't stop here. That's what got him crucified. Because Jesus came and said, you know, this is fine, but this is the human view of what's going on. It's a very evolved human view, but it's simply the human view. He says, I've got something to tell you. This little chart of yours is incomplete because there is a row above this that you've forgotten. And that's what got him crucified because he preached the who for. This is what matters, Jesus says. I don't care why. I care who for. Who are you doing it for? This is the God level. This is your heart level. In other words, why are you doing these things is driven by who for. Who am I doing it for? Because there are a lot of people that were doing everything according to righteousness. The law was perfect with them. And they could even tell you why. They could say whatever they wanted, but it wasn't true. Because Jesus looked at their hearts and said, no, you're not. See, none of what you do, how you do it, or why you do it matters if the reason you're doing it isn't because you love God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't just matter the actions. You need to know what is your who for. Because anything else that you've put there, no matter what you're doing, you're doing good things for someone. Like, I work for my family. You know, I do all this for my family. You know, I don't, you know honestly, why I come to church is I think it helps my kids. You know, so I'll come, I, mean, I don't really don't like it, it's boring, but I come to church because I think my kids get something out of it, okay? I'm doing it for the kids, you're not doing it for God. So God doesn't care. God doesn't care that's why you're doing it. You have to understand the Bible doesn't say thou shalt have no other bad gods before me. It says you won't have any gods before me. Anything you put between you and God is in front of him and is bad. Everything, he said, if it's not there, then, then you have to know that Jesus is saying no. Jesus is saying, you're either going to serve God or you're not. In fact, Jesus said that. Jesus says that a couple times in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. Notice the words he used here, kind of strong, despise. Now, you wouldn't think about that. Well, I'm loyal to my family. And God says, yeah, and that means you despise me. Well, I don't know if that's fair. That's what Jesus says. He says, that's how it works. You will be loyal to one and despise the other, love one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, um, a lot of translations will change this to money. You cannot serve God and money or treasure. But that's not what Jesus said, and that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus means mammon. Mammon was actually a god. Uh, he had his own temple in Rome, and he was the god of the world. It was uh, 
really honestly, the god of greed. Remember Gordon Gecko? The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. That's Mammon right there. That is, I don't know if you remember this from Wall Street, you know, he's this hyper, hyper rich guy. And that's, that's, we need to stop, we need to embrace greed, he says. And a lot of people believe that without saying it. Because you look out for number one, what is that? I need to make it and I'm, then I'll rest. Or if I can get here, then I'll come back to God. I need to get here first though. And you're motivated for your family, you're motivated for yourself. Whatever you're motivated by, God says, no, that's, that's mammon. You can't serve mammon and me. You can't serve the God of earth and the God of heaven. That doesn't work. You only have one heart and you can't divide it. It's going to be either given to God or it's going to be given to mammon. That's how it goes. Uh, Paul says this in Romans. Do you not know that what you offer yourselves, when you offer yourselves to someone, you're slaves to the one you obey? It's really simple. When you give yourself over something, you're a slave to it. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness, that's your choice. You have a choice. You can choose who you are a slave to. You can choose your what for, but you can't choose having a what for. That's what, that's what he's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Take a pick. You don't get to pick both. It's one or it's the other. He's always clear on that. Uh, and he says this himself. He says, look, this is Jesus. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I know the Pharisees are telling you they're righteous. They're doing all these things that make them look righteous. They can even point back to biblical teaching that shows you why they should do this. But they are not my people. They are doing it for their self-satisfaction. They're doing it for their own glory before men. They're doing it for all kinds of reasons. They're doing it for their family. They're doing it out of guilt. Whatever they're doing, they're not doing it for me. He says, they worship me in vain. That means they're worshiping me, but I'm not listening. Their teachings are merely human rules. See, the Pharisees understood why. They understood all of that. They, you know, when, G, when Paul talks about being a Pharisee, he says, you want to talk about the law? I kept it all perfectly. Perfectly. I, was, I had everything. I kept the law perfectly. He said, but I gave it up for God because I realized everything I had was garbage next to that. In, in uh, John, John talks about these people who hear Jesus preach and in their heart, they know he's right. So, yeah, he's, he's right. That's really, that's really true. But they won't say anything. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Are you willing to give up even that? I mean, it's like, you're in church, I'm going to get kicked out of church for loving God? Yeah, sometimes that's where it goes, depending on the church you're in. And, and so he's saying, if you understand who Jesus is and you understand his teaching and it's pinging on your heart, then that's what you need to follow, whatever it costs you. Are you willing to do that? And in fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, if uh, you want to come after me, I'll tell you how to do it. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. See, somehow Christianity got reduced to a prayer. That if you've said this magic little prayer that fits on a card about that big, yeah, yeah, there's a little male magic prayer here, and you read that, you're saved. And if you don't read that, by the way, you're going to hell. There are some people who actually believe that. You have to give the sinner's prayer in your life sometime. And if you do, you're saved. doesn't matter what you do. For the rest of your life, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. That's it. And if you haven't done that, doesn't matter what you do. 
you're dead. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you know what it takes to be my follower? Daily, you choose to follow me. Daily, every day. Now, this is before, of course, Jesus was crucified. They had no idea when he was preaching this that that's where he was headed. But they all knew what the cross was. It was a feared form because the cross was 100% effective at killing people. When a body was put on the cross, it did not come down alive. 100% effectiveness. So when Jesus is saying, you're going to kill the body daily, you're going to, say, you're going to deny yourself daily and follow me, that's, he says, that's what it means to follow me. Anything else is not it. And uh, the thing is that we get caught up in all this, but I'm doing all the right things, and I'm doing all the right things for good things, so God will be okay with that, and God won't. Let me give you a, a little story. So uh, let's say that there's a man and a wife. They're married. I guess that's, 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 that's kind of goes without saying. And uh, the wife has been trying to improve her husband. Now, I know none of you wives do that, uh, but some wives do. Uh, my wife calls it, I, I'm not trying to nag. I just want you to reach your full potential. That's you know, really all I want. So you know, she has a list. Because like, in my experience, I've had a couple of wives. They always have lists. And they're ready with them like that. You know, they're cool like that. They have these lists of things you need to do to improve yourself as a human being and make yourself a better husband. But let's say this, this woman was really, truly Christian and righteous. And her, let's say her list was all good stuff. You know, I, you know, she's saying, look, I want you to be the spiritual leader of the family. I, I am, I'm tired of being the only one who drags everybody to church. I have this list of things you need to be to be a spiritual leader. You, know, you need to be organized more because you're so, so disorganized. Uh, you need to take us to church instead of us taking you to church. Uh, you need to pray without us and with us. And you need to read your Bible. And you know what else would be really great is if we're out with people, you would put your phone away. I really would appreciate it if we didn't have conversations and your nose was in your phone the whole time because that's rude, right? That's just a rude thing. So you know, pay attention to the people you're with and, and, and have conversations, real honest conversations, and just be a Christian leader and organize your life. You're a slob. I'm tired of cleaning up after you. So this whole list here of things, and they fight about it for many, many years. And then as it turns out that he has to go away on an extended contract to Florida and he's going to be there for a month. So he packs up. And before he leaves, she gives him that list one more time. While you're gone, think about this. Pray about it. And he goes off. And a week later, they're having a phone conversation. He says, you're not going to believe it. I've been looking at your list. I have done everything on it this week. She said, really? He says, yeah, actually, uh, I kind of had an epiphany when I got here on Saturday. And I decided, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about all this. And so I went to church on Sunday. And I met some lovely people. In fact, I'm going to go to a small group fellowship later this week. Uh, we went out for, for lunch. I had a great time. Met a lot of really great people. Didn't take my phone out once. In fact, uh, some even commented on it when we were leaving, how nice it was to have a conversation when no one took their phone out. I was very proud to be part of that conversation. I've been reading the Bible. I've been praying. Uh, I've been, uh, and he actually takes pictures. He's like, hey, look at my apartment. He like takes pictures all over. It's spotless. She goes, do you have a maid service? He says, nope, I clean this place myself. And he opens up the fridge, says, watch what I, takes a picture. See what I cooked yesterday for myself. Oh, you can cook. Who knew? You know, all this stuff. And heart's just singing, you know, like this is what she always wanted. She goes, this is incredible. What made the change? You know, I'm just curious. I've been banging on you for, you know, trying to get you to change for 10 years. And suddenly you made the change. And then he sends her another, he sends her another picture. And this picture is a really lovely young <clears throat> woman sitting in a restaurant chair. And he says, well, I've met someone. And I realized when I met her, I was going to change. And so I did. 
Now, let me ask you something. Where's the wife feeling about all the changes he's made now? Does she care about any of them? Since none of them were made for her? This is where God is. Where's your heart? Who's your heart belong to? I don't care what you're doing. Who, who are you doing it for? Who, who for? If you're just doing it for yourself, because you get satisfaction out of it, yourself because you think I'll bless you if you do this, or you're doing it out of the memory of your mother or grandmother or wife or whatever, you're just doing it for them, or you're doing it for your kids, or you're doing it because you love the way people look at you when you're doing them. It makes you feel good about yourself. And you can check that box. Those aren't for me, he says. Jesus is saying, I care who you're doing it for more than I care why you're doing it. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care, I don't care if you pray. I don't care if you read the Bible. I don't care if you go to church. I don't care if you tithe. Hashtag things a preacher would never say. I don't care. What I care about is who is, are you doing it for? He doesn't care about how, why, or, or what. What he cares about is who you serve. And this is, this is something that becomes something that we need to do. We need help on this because we need to find all those areas that we have put something between us and God. Because understand, if you've done that, then you're, what you're doing is filthy rags. It's nothing. In Psalm, the psalmist says this, you've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So then he adds by, ends by saying this, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. He says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to search me and test me and show me where I've let other things come between me and you. Because I got to get them out. I am not going to be able to have the breastplate of righteousness protecting my heart unless I am committed to serve the Lord and nothing else. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father.